Hello, welcome back to Mr. Matinee. Um, I'm gonna try to do this kind of quietly. Um, and I hope to get some of the names right of the people that I don't know the names for. Let me pause this. You may be able to hear some of that in the background, but it's basically one of my favorite fights in movie history. What I'm going to do in this uh, video, or this audio, is similar to what I did in the last one, is talk about Steven Seagal. But instead of comparing him year by year to Van Damme, I'm going to discuss uh, why I like the different movies, uh, his theatrical run. I guess, you know how the Godzilla movies have the uh, Showa era and then the Hisei era. Um, Seagal has his theatrical era. And his theatrical era, very clearly defined, is Above the Law by Warner Brothers, Hard to Kill by Warner Brothers, Mark for Death by Fox, uh, Out for Justice, I think, by Fox, uh, by Warner Brothers, Under Siege by Warner Brothers, On Deadly Ground by Warner Brothers, Under Siege 2 by Warner Brothers, Executive Decision. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, Under Siege 2, Warner Brothers. As I said, A Glimmer Man and Fire Down Below, Warner Brothers. So his only aberration was from Mark for Death, where he worked for Fox. And I don't really know why that was set up there. There isn't a lot of information about that particular situation. Um, but I guess the way I should break this down into, I guess, the most digestible form. Um, he kicks ass. I mean, I, watching Steven Seagal's movies over and over again and kind of having a replay of his theatrical you know, best of hits, which I, I've done uh, quite a lot. And it's been great to be able to acquire all of his theatrical releases because except for Out for Justice, I saw, and except for Fire Down Below and Glimmer Man, I saw all his movies in the theater. So that, that's Above the Law I saw in the theater at the Upland 8. Uh, Hard to Kill, I believe, at the Upland 8. Mark for Death at the Virginia Dare 6. Out for Justice, I didn't see because I, I I looked up the other movies and I'd seen those at the time. Uh, Under Siege, I saw it, I believe, at the Virginia Dare 6. On Deadly Ground, which I didn't like at the time, which was absolutely crazy. Movie kicks ass, like on a lot of levels. Um, and he directs it. Uh, so, anyway, uh, there's that. And then Under Siege 2. The Upland 8, Executive Decision, The Terrorist 6, Glimmer Man I did not see in theaters, and Fire Down Below. So I'm going to discuss what's important or what I like about these films. Um, so let's just break it down. This part of the series of video, uh, this, uh, this episode of this uh, Steven Seagal audio discussion is going to be 
about the villains in all of these films. Who I think does the best job as a villain. So the villain in uh, um, Above the Law is you know, a guy you've seen thousands of times in movies. Uh, and I'm not going to say he's the drawback of the film. Uh, the plot of the movie is is the actual villain, I guess you would say. It's the circumstances, the mob and the CIA and all the entanglements and the city politics and all that. Uh, Above the Law has a somewhat more complex plot. Uh, so They all have more complex plots than, than you would think. But um, to its detriment, and Henry Silva, clearly not an intimidating looking person at all. But there are some heavies, you know, uh, the assistance to the bad guy and everything like that I would just kind of root them on as saying like yeah they do their good job or whatever I give them kind of like a B so they're just kind of like solidly there um so that's that for that movie so in terms of that discussion we'll go to the next uh film of, of that filmography now hard to kill Hard to Kill has a series of heavies, but the main villain is um, William Sadler, who plays the Grim Reaper in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and uh, like the key villain in Die Hard 2, and I don't know, you'd say maybe the protagonist or the antagonist in uh, Trespass, really underrated early 90s movie. Um, this film, Hard to Kill, it was released February of 1990. It's just way more of a box office hit than Above the Law. Above the Law really only made about $20 million probably total, international included. Hard to Kill made just $59 million. But yeah, it made $47.4 in, Amer- in North America and 59 worldwide. So it had there been more of a worldwide market for it, it would have done even better. Uh, shockingly, Owen Gluberman rated it a letter grade a D minus, and called Seagal as generic as an actor as the film. I don't really even know what that means. And D minus. I tweet to him right now. And <laughs> fuck, he would give the that movie a D minus. Like you still stand by your D minus review of Hard to Kill. I'm going to do that. Um, so, discussing the villain, I mean, he's got a great catchphrase. You can take that to the bank. He says that on video when he's getting, uh, you know, uh, basically caught in a sting operation, which is the reason he goes gets uh, an AG, Steven Seagal killed. And then, um, how else does that go? Um, you'll stand behind you 
your D minus review of herd to kill. 1990, in case there's like a bunch of other movies named Hard to Go. I would usually respect Owen Gorman, but it's like Owen Gorman was never on TV, so I'm not going to take the time to read that review. It's more than likely a lot of the archives for Entertainment Weekly are like, uh, behind a paywall at this point. <coughs> I have looked for some stuff on there before. It's quite frustrating. <sighs> Uh, New York Times um, stuff is hard to find, but in, in, I'm glad this is annotated. Janet Maslow of the New York Times described the film as a lively one for its genre. I tend to agree. <laughs> Mr. Seagal is effective for both his novelty value and his ability to be literally and figuratively disarming. Well, I think that I think that maybe like women critics gave him a pass because like at his peak, Steven Seagal maybe was like appealing to them. Um, I mean, with Van Damme as well, I think they were maybe like better, more attractive than Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and more coherent maybe, less so for Van Damme, but like that Seagal was more coherent. Uh, and was glib and like obviously was in the best shape of his life or maybe you know he's just in very good shape interesting um Dylan wise I mean um he got a lot of like assistant heavies and everything like that but you know the main bad guy is uh, William Sadler and he becomes senator He's not necessarily physically intimidating, um, but everything that happens in it ends up being um, building towards more than more than a rewarding conclusion in their final little skirmish. So that's always positive. You know, he's not that intimidating, but it builds the good climax with with him and everything like that. And uh, I always like the uh, liquor store shootout where he, I think, breaks a dude's leg in half. And then, like, so those little villains, like the Hispanic or, you know, unknown race uh, robbers that kill the liquor store guy when they're talking about the Oscars. I feel that's a nice scene. And I just feel it's sad that that guy had to die. And then Steven Seagal basically maim all those people and then just goes home that evening. So yeah, he's got a pretty tough life uh, as depicted in that film. I have a real soft spot for Hard to Kill. It's more than likely probably my favorite on the whole list, but just talking villains right now, and we'll go to the next uh, topic of video. <laughs> so, um, Out for Justice, yeah, just on some side notes, I really like John Flynn as a director. I mean, he made Rolling Thunder, which was kind of like a meaningful action movie, a, a rare, like, meaningful action movie, kind of like the opposite of a deer hunter, or like a, what deer hunter would be trying to do, but doing it with action, it's kind of interesting, 
uh, back, uh, um, violent action. Now, I gotta figure this out now. There's this poster for Out for Justice that I see here, and I really don't think that this is the theatrical poster. I'm wondering... I'm wondering if it is the uh, international poster. The poster I know is Steven Seagal's got the same pose, but it's just a complete black backdrop and kind of hard to distinguish what exactly is going on. This one has, you know, you see the whole cast in the background kind of being like villainous. It's a white backdrop. I don't know. I really like that. I, I think it's a more modern version of a poster, but they're trying to purport it as, as um, you know, the, uh, what am I trying? they're trying to purport it as, um, as in the, on, like, the walls of theaters, and I don't think that's ever been on a wall of a theater like that. So, I, I gotta verify that, though. Um, this one's got Gina Gershon in it. This one... Is it actually, it's, just, it's hard to believe it's his third theatrical film. I mean, he was just on a fucking roll, man. He goes, February of 90, you know, in 88, makes uh, Above the Law. February of 90, makes Hard to Kill. April of 91, uh, comes out for justice. And that costs $14 million, so a little bit more than Hard to Kill. And it makes $39 million, uh, which is probably about $30 million in America. Uh... Wait a minute, did I skip one? Did I skip one? Yes, I did. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry. I, I skipped uh, Mark for Death, which came out just a couple months later uh, in October of 90. So he goes February of 90, October of 90, and $12 million budget. So basically, the, a little bit more, like 500000 more and hard to kill. And you get it's all on the screen in <laughs> all, all its bloody glory. And, uh, yeah, it opened big, eleven point seven million, basically twelve million back then. His second straight film to open at number one. It remained at number one for three weekends. Jesus, <laughs> it's funny just to see that in print back then. I think the movie that knocked it out, ironically, is um, Home Alone, and then obviously Rocky Five knocked it out. You know, took its place, and then Predator Two, and then the next movie was. Uh, a mark for death like in fifth or sixth that weekend pretty sure at least um it earned 46 million domestically jesus christ and 58 million worldwide so if these movies if he could have just been around like 10 years later he'd be the biggest star because this the metrics on this money i mean it's just great <laughs> um well my friend kevin dunn is in this movie um, Jimmy Cliff is in it as himself. I, I, I mean, interesting to point out. Uh, I mean, beat around the bush all you want. You know, this is all movies all about Screwface. So, Mark for Death may not be my favorite on the whole list. Um, I actually got to find the Blu-ray. I know I have the, the Blu-ray for it somewhere here. sucks that I don't have it as accessible as I'd like to have it. But anyway, Basil Wallace plays Screwface, and I 
I think we base the walls from other stuff. But, I mean, let's be honest, he plays Screwface. <laughs> it's like one of the best roles of all time. So in terms of who the villains are, so he was in, he's a small role in Joyride years later. So it didn't necessarily lead to anything great for him. He plays an insurance salesman in Grand Canyon right around the same time. He plays in Rapid Fire, which is made by the same director of Mark for Death. And that was that Brandon Lee film. And he played a, you know, key role in that. But he's done mainly TV ever since. A lot of different TV shows here and there. And uh, that's the life of an actor like that. But Basil Wallace is absolute career peak in March for Death, a role that he'll always be remembered for. And right around the same time as Predator 2 with its Jamaican stuff, Basil Wallace acts the shit out of being a villain. And he may be the number one villain in uh, the Seagal theatrical franchise, or as it were. <laughs> um, so we'll get back to him soon. Now we get to Under Siege. Now Under Siege is really interesting. Um, so many different members of the you know music group that in the, does the takeover on the uh, uh, Navy ship. Such a creative movie. <laughs> uh, so you know you got Tommy Lee Jones, you got Cole Meany, and of course you got Gary Busey, among others, I believe. Uh, less distinct, you know, typical heavies. I think the typical heavies do a good job in Mark for Death as well, just to point that out. Um, wait, so I'm skipping ahead now. Oh my god. Oh god. Sorry, everybody. Back to Out for Justice. We'll get to Under Siege in a minute. I haven't finished up with Out for Justice yet. The typical heavies that are in it are awesome. The Like the ones that kind of reinforce them. Um, I find the whole like mob storyline... And, you know, Uncle uh, Uncle Junior from The Sopranos is in it. Juliana Margulies, like I had pointed out, uh, Gina Gershon. Um, hell, it even says you got Kane Hodder in it. Uh, you know, Jason uh, Voorhees himself. Uh, John Leguizamo is an extra. So, I, mean, I like the character, the culture of the film. I think it does a really good job. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I love Flat Top uh, from uh, um, Dick Tracy. And I think William Forsyth did a really, really good job as um, Flat Top. And a really, really good job as... Uh, this vi the villain Richie. Richie. Anyone be see Richie? I love how um, you know Steven Seagal plays Gino and all the classic scenes, man. I mean, there's arguably maybe that if you're making a top ten list, which I may do, top ten list of like best bar fights or best fights in a Seagal film. I think like three of them are from Out for Justice, so it would win at the. At those kind of Oscars, <laughs> uh, so yeah, there we go. Uh, Out for Justice. I, I, I kept trying to skip over a couple. So uh, you know, the William Forsyth villain. If there was never a Screwface, it would almost be cool to see him play that role, like as a kind of Gary Oldman style Jamaican uh, character. So it would be cool, like to have. Uh, 
someone else be the villain and out in and out for justice, and have William Forsythe kind of have that kind of crazy character role from Work for Death, and you know Basil Wallace would just be asked out because <laughs> I think Forsythe would have maybe actually done better with Screwface, but Basil Wallace got that role of Screwface, and what's his name got the role of Forsythe, and they both did the best that they could. Um, but by Basil Wallace kind of doing the best that he could, he probably just had a slightly better role or slightly better execution. I don't know. It's tough because Forsyth is right there. Uh, right, right there. He's very, 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 very competitive, very, very good villain. I mean, this that's what I love about these movies, man. I mean, I started to really analyze, and I used to always think that, it, like, Seagal and Van Damme, I, I linked together or, I, I, you know, don't even try to compare them. I, I love them both. And it's true. I do love them both. But if you look at these villains and these pieces, man, they just are... They're really good actors, first of all. And then, you know, William Sadler, and we'll get into everyone else in a minute. Basil Wallace, I know he's not super famous, but he does a great job. Uh, Henry Silva, he did a great job. Uh, he's by far the least vi good villain of all the... Uh, we'll get to everyone. Of all the pieces. Um... So then we get to understand. Yeah, everyone knows what hit that was. And uh, it was an awesome movie, and no doubt about it. I believe it made $80 million in America, but then he'd been catching on probably through video, and then it just caught on worldwide. Uh, it made. Okay, so $60 million worldwide or so. Maybe even like close to $70 million worldwide where the other ones combined only made like $30 million. So yeah, things had been going really well for him. And let's really get into the discussion. We got Cole Meany as a very good, you know, third banana. So that just ups the ante. Usually third banana you hadn't really heard of up to, you know, uh, this point in Steven Seagal's career. So the ups the ante, and you get your second guy, Gary Busey, who's really doing some great character work in a lot of films at this point, just coming off of Predator 2, um, just coming off of, uh, of course, uh, uh, Point Break, which just came out uh, the year before. So the last two years leading up to this for Gary Busey, you know, he's getting his act together, gets some stuff going. Son starts acting in some films, and he's doing great. And Tommy Lee Jones, obviously the key villain. Um, uh, now three of them, nothing's intimidating really about them in any way. I think there's some good fighting, and it's more about the absolute kick-ass takeover uh, of it. Uh, he got nominated for two Oscars um, for sound type stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's what really can be said more about Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, and Cole Meany in Under Siege. They do great. All three of them add up to probably being as good as Screwface, but it's hard to, it's hard to really gauge. Um, I'm not really trying to rank. I'm just trying to point out all the villains. How vivid each one. You got Gary Busey dancing around. You got him spitting in the, the soup, intimidating Ryback. You got Cole Meany uh, doing a lot of like the uh, point man work on the takeover. 
Really awesome fucking collection of villains in that one. Got a great rogues gallery in the Seagullverse. <laughs> Alright, so then we got On Deadly Ground. Now what the hell else can we point out about On Deadly Ground? Other than it kicks ass in terms of villains. I mean, does it rank up there in terms of everyone else in the whole series? Obviously a great musical score by Polidorus. Uh, great cinematography by Rick Wade. Just some of the best cinematography in his career. Uh, beautiful filming in Alaska. That's what I really like about it. You know, Rick Wade known for doing like uh, American Tales, some Footloose, uh, Red Dawn, Brewster's Millions, um, American-centric adventures in babysitting. Uh, all sorts of different films, 48 hours, uh, but then to go to make a movie like this just kicks ass. It's uh, sad to see that he's dead, but he did a great job in the cinematography for uh, On the That really sets up a fantastic performance by Mr. Michael Caine and a really good supporting villain performance by John C. McGinley. You know, John C. McGinley, where he's taking that like whale or ivory tusk and hiking off that old uh, informer's... Uh, fingers one by one that old man or then uh he got michael kane not wanting to be like the loose calls it an, an animal gas has to get a towel or some kind of some kind of spray so he doesn't have to smell the animal uh you know just really out there really good direct interaction with seagal and michael kane i mean can you imagine Van Damme being in a scene with Michael Caine? I don't know if it's happened, really. I mean, Seagal was on a really good kick in this time period. Um, so, yeah, I definitely like that movie a lot. I don't know what I was thinking when I didn't like it. When I, I saw it when I was 13. I really didn't like the film, but I, I, I really love the film now. It's, it's kind of hard to believe. So that one ranks up there in terms of villains, but it's probably... Uh, Second, uh, on in terms of all these, with uh, out under siege, marked for death, and uh, out for justice, having the best of films so far. Now we get to uh, under siege two, which I'm watching the conclusion of. Now this has another rogues gallery situation. You got Peter Green, who's the sadist cop, or whatever security guard, and. Um, uh, Pulp Fiction, and he's also one of the key villains in The Mask, and in uh, Laws of Gravity, plays like the main character, a great independent film. Um, several other things through the years, probably know his face, Peter Green. Then you got Everett McGill, just a fantastic, fantastic character actor. Usually plays these kind of roles that he plays here in Under Siege 2, like the brute force behind more of the brainy type guy. Uh, he does a role like in uh, Silver Bullet and uh, the other villain in this piece is Eric Bogosian. He just does a fantastic job. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be your captors. I'll be your captor this evening. Um, Federal regulations state I should, mur I should murder you if you cause me a problem. All these different dialogue. I'm paraphrasing there, but, you know. Uh, <coughs> this is another film I didn't like the first time I saw it. I think I, I thought he did a good job, but, you know. 
I didn't like it overall. It's a fantastic film, though, uh, and really set up by the villainous performances of the three key guys. There's some other, you know, less distinct people, but it's mainly Everett McGill and uh, Peter Green and Eric Bogosian. And Eric Bogosian has just really got some good villainous turns in it. You know, he sets up the... Brenda Backey and her mate to get killed and uh, tells them how they're going to cauterize their eye and make it explode and all that. I mean, geez, he honestly may have the best villain scenes in it, but he loses a little bit towards the end because Everett McGill almost like usurps him in terms of authority as it goes on. So it's kind of like, what? What's going on exactly? So I think maybe that might have presented a little bit of an issue. Uh, to people, I'm not sure. Next film is, uh, he doesn't really have any producerial involvement or anything to do with it to that end. And he's only in it for like 25 minutes, but they're very key 25 minutes, and uh, it's executive decision. And the key villain in that. There's a guy whose name, I believe you pronounce it David Suchet. 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 This has quite an assortment of people in the film, you know. Uh, Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, John Leguizamo, Oliver Platt, Joe Morton, David Suchet, B.D. Wong. With cinematography by Alex Thompson, very good British cinematographer. But the uh, villains are David Suchet. I'm just trying to make sure there's no one else villain wise. Yeah, I mean, there's Sean Taub. He just plays a guy called Terrorist. So they're kind of really good, a little stereotypical in this film. So without a doubt, these are. Maybe the least memorable. Go with Above the Law in this. For the least memorable villains. Definitely know that they're there. And David Suchet does a pretty good job. Uh, but the other ones involved, they're, they're, you know, less to do with everything. Uh, God. And then now to the, I believe the final theatrical. Oh no, he's got two more. Yeah, he has a nice little theatrical run. And the villain in that is the same as in Shawshank Redemption, Bob Gunton. I believe that's correct. Pretty intricate plot, so it's a little hard, a little hard to remember. But Brian Cox and Bob Gunton, I believe, are the villains. And there's all sorts of thugs and carjackers and people that he has to fight against uh, in this film. Oh god, Nikki Cox. Whatever happened to her? It's almost like she disappeared. Does everyone remember Nikki Cox? She was a very famous actress in the mid-90s. 
on that uh, television uh, program, uh, Unhappily Ever After. Yeah, that's the one. And I guess she was on, I think she was on Las Vegas. She had a show called Nikki as well, which was on, uh, it says on the WB. And what happened to her? She married Jay Moore, okay, and just got divorced. So I wonder what happened with that. Um, maybe some some cocaine involvement, because Jay Moore seems like a cokehead. Uh, they're in the middle of a divorce in 2017. So they've been divorced for or getting divorced for a while. Huh. She... <coughs> Holy fuck. When she was 19, she was engaged to Bobcat Goldthwait, who was doing the voice on Unhappily Ever After. God damn, that's fucking crazy. Um, but she's made some very odd choices in terms of her dating. Uh, perhaps, maybe, Steven Seagal would get involved with her on the set of this. God knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Bob Gunton and Brian Cox might be like the best, you know, two actors or some really good actors on this, but the plot is so, I don't want to say heavy, but doesn't it really, I mean, there's thugs and stuff like that, you know, basic kind of nondescript heavies that Steven Seagal fights and even slices one up with a credit card. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of good stuff going on, but there's not really a lot of direct involvement. It's more that these villains are so powerful about keeping the conspiracy of what the Glimmer Man really is and all that. So... That's that. Uh, And going to the final theatrical film of Mr. Seagal, and that's Fire Down Below. I'm a huge fan of this film. The main villain is Chris Christopherson in this film, but the main villain, which involves a very intricate plot. I mean, it ends up as a plot where he goes undercover to see what happens to his dead partner investigating, um, you know, like environmental crimes in Kentucky. But then he ends up doing carpentry work for this woman, and it turns out that this woman is still in a, uh, like a forcibly, uh, incestuous relationship with her, uh, her brother who killed her father. So, those villains rank up there very high. You got the environmental casino owner, uh, environmental crime guy. And his group of uh, thugs, which do a pretty good job, and one of them, one of his relatives actually turns on him. So that's maybe takes away a little bit from the villainous aspect, but you know, for the story wise, it works. Um, but then you got a guy like Chris Christopherson, you know, he does a really good job. He seems to enjoy being at Steven Seagal film. Um, which I think that all these people should step forward and say, you know, Steven Seagal, I enjoyed working with him. I enjoyed him as an actor and being in his films and the way that they turned out. Because 
I mean, sure he's a jerk now or whatever people want to say he did or didn't do. But, huh, I mean, I get a little emotional defending it. I hadn't really ever talked about the subject. And it's like, yeah, there's some good work done in this film. And, like, people can say what they want about Avatar. I think Stephen Ling does a good job in it, though. There's a lot of screaming and stuff like that. But you get a really nuanced performance by him in this. Where he's basically trying to feel out what Steven Seagal is doing. Trying to make sure that Mark Helgenberger doesn't reveal that he's raping her and that he's her brother. And trying to do a whole bunch of really shady shit and also working for the conspiracy as well. So, in terms of the villains of the Steven Seagal... Uh, you know, theatrical releases. Uh, just to sum up, I have a lot of feelings about the subject. And and, and um, I won't really rank them at the end of this video, but I, I've pointed out some of the real highlights. And clearly, you know, Screwface is just awesome for Mark for Death, played by Basil Wallace. And then... Um, Uh, in Under Siege, you got Cole Meany, uh, Gary Busey, and Tommy Lee Jones. And they all three do a fantastic job, as well as the, you know, the other heavies. And the other heavies do a good job in Mark for Death. Um, and then, what am I trying to point out? Uh, William Forsythe does a really good job as Ricky and <laughs> Out for Justice. And... Uh, and Under Siege 2, Eric Bogosian and Eric, uh, Everett McGill. And, uh, oh, I should point out, I think Jonathan Banks is in the film, too, as one of the villains. So, yeah, the collection, the Rogues Gallery there is um, a really a really good collection there as well. So, yeah, to sum up, um, you know, Steven Seagal, maybe a controversial subject to a lot of people, but I would think that Warner Brothers is... Maybe behind some of the campaign to bash him so much because maybe they owe him money for all the years that he made movies that were, you know, far far below the budget. Because uh, some of his later movies flopped, but the other ones were huge hits. And if you do it, he was still very profitable. So if you go with what Randy Quaid says sometimes is that they try to uh, they try to set you up to fail so that then they can take more money of you know your legacy uh, rights and all that stuff. Which, shit, man. <laughs> Macabre-wise, I mean, uh, that may, makes sense. I mean, if Seagal's out of the way, they can make more money on Seagal when he's dead. I mean, that's... Very macabre, but true. And I would imagine if he were to pass or something like that, that they would probably, you know, do really good special editions for all these movies and all that and end up licensing them out and all that. Um, but anyway, I didn't want to go into that kind of thing. I just wanted to talk about the villains uh, for these, all these movies that I enjoy. I mean, there's not a bad one there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten. Ten movies in uh, less than ten years. Um, great job, Steven Seagal. And great job 
to the villains. One of the more memorable villains in action movie history and in movie history. This has been a discussion on some aspects of the Steven Seagal movies that I like. This is an audio uh, podcast discussion. Thank you so much.